back to the byproduct, my podcast all about science. So today we have a special guest coming on to talk about his research, my friend, awesome engineering student, um, black men in STEM, Omar Bishop. Hi guys. So, so glad to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you. So how, just Give us a brief explanation of your research. Like, give us the 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 abstract. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 Cool. Cool. So, um, I'm a mechanical engineering student, um, and I research a field called magnetocalorics. Um, magnetocalorics to kind of break it down for you is basically just magnetic cooling. Um, so I'm in a very very preliminary stage of research for what we hope to create in the future is really, really efficient refrigerators. Um, So a large problem within society and with sustainability is current refrigerators. They take up a lot of power and they create a lot of waste with Freon. Um, So our refrigerators would use um, magnetocaloric compounds, so elements put together that basically when put under magnetic fields um, change the temperature within themselves so um, and that all has to do with really the spin of the electrons within the compounds but um, basically with an applied electric field on them um, the inside of um, basically a device that would be created um, which we would call a magnetocaloric regenerator Um, the inside of it would be able to cool like a regular refrigerator and it would use much less energy and create no waste like Freon. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So like what your research, like what was the test? Like what was the data? What data Mm -hmm. were you collecting? So like I said, like we're in very preliminary stages. So Um, what I specifically focus on is material characterization. Mm. And so when we're talking about, uh, this magnetic cooling, like the actual like prototype being created is super far in the future, probably five, 10 years of actual working one. Um, they have kind of estimates of like one to two years, but I think that's really like thinking big and thinking quickly. Um, especially with COVID, I think that things have been set back. Um, So basically what I do is I start out by creating these compounds, right? So um, my professor, Dr. Radhika Barua, um, am I allowed to cuss on here? Yeah. Okay, baddest (laughs) bitch alive. (laughs) Um, She uh, has researched this for a while, so she kind of knows a lot of elements that Uh, work certain ways under magnetic fields and she's kind of known like just from working in the field for so long so she kind of gives us preliminary elements to work with and then tells me kind of just just experiment so the compound that I'm working with specifically uh, over the past two years is iron three gallium four Um, the compound just shows really really high magnetic strength at room temperature um, so using that, that's kind of what we want going forward for a regenerator in the future, because you want it to be able to sit at room temperature in wherever it is, the house or whatever, apply a magnetic field and it have a really high magnetic response. So 
I've started with that, and I, um, from the U.S. Naval Academy, they actually created a single crystal of it, which is really hard to do with compounds specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so they sent it over, um, and the single crystal was really interesting. Um, we took pictures of it under an electron microscope, and you can just really see, like, the really fine crystalline structure that it has. It just looks super gorgeous, honestly. Um, and so for those of you out there who are wondering the difference between a single crystal versus like any other regular compound, a single crystal has a very defined crystal lattice. And what I mean by that is basically it has a very defined structure. So basically a single crystal would be when you come into the classroom before all the students have sat down and all the desks are neatly defined in rows and columns and things like that. Whereas most compounds are after kids leave the classroom and the desks are kind of just everywhere spun around. Um, it's really hard to get uh, specifically compounds when you mix them together to sit in single crystal um, phases. It's hard to get the elements to sit together so neatly. Um, but the Naval Academy put a lot of work into creating the single crystals. Ooh. So... Um, that was pretty cool. They sent them to us. Um, and then I use what's called a physical property measurement system, PPMS, and do tests called VSM, which is vibrating sample magnetometry. And so what that does is I take my elements, I put them in basically a vacuum, and they vibrate and put them at either different fields, different temperatures, and it measures the magnetic response of them. Um, so a lot Wait, of... Wait, mm -hmm. so magnetic response, mm -hmm. what's that? So magnetic response is basically, like, the, the word that we use for it often is literally magnetization, mm -hmm. um, and it has its own units, um, and you can literally measure basically, like, the amplitude of magnetic energy that is being given to you from a compound at certain temperatures or certain pressures or certain fields. Um, so, and like why this is useful for our regenerator in the future is because when you, when we're going to use a magnetic field to, um, to cool the systems, we need to have large magnetic responses because that magnetic response is going to drive the temperature change. Right. Um, and it's, uh, I think it really all goes back down to the concept of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's kind of, it means like the, the ability to change in a system, um, is what I'm looking for. Um, hold on. Ability to change in a system. Entropy was the word I was looking for. Um, so it all comes down to entropy. So like that magnetic ability to change things that magnetic um, response uh, has a large amount of um, entropy change it can create and that can help with the temperature change so I took my single crystal measured the magnetic um, responses in the PPMS as I mentioned beforehand using VSM um, and basically what we focus on to see the magnetic transitions is called an MT plot, which is the magnetization on the y-axis and the temperature on the x-axis. 
Um, and so there are different magnetic responses that you can have at different temperatures and they look different on these empty plots. So you have ferromagnetic, which looks really sharp, goes up and down like a really, really skinny bell curve. Um, you have anti-ferromagnetic, which is basically flat, meaning you're not really getting a magnetic response. And then you have paramagnetic, which is kind of this slow steep up. Um, and that's kind of what I record. And so um, every compound that you have has these what they call phase transitions. Right. Um, and so it'll be in a specific phase and then we'll transition to a different phase. And you really want those areas of phase transition to be an area where you want to play with the spin of the electrons and play with using that magnetism for energy. Um, so I'll take those measurements, like with the single crystal I did, I put it in the PPMS, ran these measurements, and then I basically record where on those MT plots I'm getting these transitions and what the transitions look like. Um, so interesting with a single crystal when I put it vertical versus horizontal because of the crystal lattice and the way it's set up I get different magnetic responses from it mm. when I put it different orient when I put it oriented differently so they want to use a single crystal in the regenerator that they're making and now they have to worry about literally the shape that they would make the regenerator if they were going to use that because it's going to act differently right so you figured that out. Yeah. So that was one of the first things that I figured out when I was doing research about two years ago. Um, and what I do now, which I kind of have more hands-on process with, is I induce pressure onto the system to affect and tune the magnetic responses. Mm. So I put pressure on the compound in two ways. I use either hydrostatic pressure or chemically induced tensile pressure. For hydrostatic pressure, we have a copper beryllium uh, pressure cell that we use, um, C-U-B-E cube, you know, which is cute, right. you know, That's like funny. it, it's fun and fresh. Um, so what we do is it's literally just this copper beryllium tube that you open up, you put the sample inside it, and then you close it, and then you can actually apply pressure with the cell by just tightening it down. Mm. Um, so the inside of it actually is kind of like packed in tight and then it pushes air onto it, which adds pressure inside the system. Um, so I can literally take that little copper rod, put it back into my PPMS machine, and it runs BSM on it. Right. Um, at a different pressure. At a different pressure. Mm -hmm. And then basically, depending on how many rotations you do when you tighten it down, equals however many kilobars of pressure that's being applied onto it. Um, so through that, we kind of didn't get super, um, well, my the way my professor puts it is that we're looking for a story to tell about right. our research. So we didn't really get a story there. We didn't get a response like where we were like, yes, yeah. we didn't get a, okay, this can be useful through this, or we're getting a specific response that we can use. There was no story to tell there. Um, so then we went to chemically induced tensile pressure. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I mean by chemically induced tensile pressure is basically we take the compound, which is iron-3, gallium-4, um, and we replace elements inside of it to create pressure. So um, iron-3, gallium-4 is a very special compound because of the unique iron sites that it has and the way it sits in the crystal structure. 
So I will replace iron with atoms that are close to it on the periodic table, but have a higher atomic radius. We've used vanadium, we've used cobalt, we've used manganese, we've used titanium. And so what that does, I replace the iron with one of those elements. And since the atomic radius is bigger, it's sitting in that same site that the iron used to sit in, and it puts pressure on all the atoms around it. And so that's induced tensile stress. Um, so in just the same way how we used hydrostatic pressure to which we applied it, a compressive stressor, compressive stress on it, you know, we tighten it down and it's putting all this pressure on the system. The, um, the new elements that I put in there actually do the opposite. You know, they're sitting inside these unique sites, which are really inside the crystal lattice, and they're putting tensile stress on the um, lattice, pushing outwardly, and that creates a stress on the system itself. Hmm. Um, so, and that's where we found one cool story, actually. So, um, with the vanadium that I was adding, um, I actually was pushing the magnetic, magnetic transition temperatures to lower temperatures, uh, or the magnetic um, phase transitions to lower temperatures, sorry. So basically I was looking at my magnetization versus temperature plots, my MT plots, and I was looking for these phase transitions. So I'm looking for these really sharp bell curves, right? And so where I, inside of the ones where I had very little vanadium, like 2.5%, or even the parent compound itself, which has no vanadium in it at all, we see a sharp ferromagnetic transition at about 10 degrees Kelvin, and also at about 380 degrees Kelvin. So it kind of, since I can't show you because it's a podcast, we're mm -hmm. gonna say, like, if you're looking at the plot, it's gonna have a really sharp bell curve at low temperatures, and then it's kind of flat. It goes through this anti-ferromagnetic phase, and then has another sharp ferromagnetic bell curve at around 380 degrees. I went all the way up to 20% of vanadium added into the system. And when you look at those MT plots, you can actually see that first transition at 10 degrees is pushed completely out of the graph. So oh, you can't wow. see it anymore. And then slowly you start to see that 380 degree one move to like 350. Then you see 310 all the way to really about um, 15, 20 degrees Kelvin with 20% vanadium, which was pretty cool. And that's on cold. Period. <laughs> so um, what's the use of that? Who knows? <laughs> Again, it's very preliminary research, but... But, like, it probably took so much time and research for them to even make, like, the perfect, the single crystal. Mm -hmm. Right. So that that's how research is. Like, you're yeah. just doing little... It may not make sense to you, but that's probably somebody else's key to their puzzle. Exactly. And so um, this research is now published. Um, that research is now published in a paper. Um, I'm now published in four papers, which is pretty cool. Period. Um, yeah. As an undergrad student, which is right. pretty dope. Yeah, that is. Um, and um, it's basically I've just uh, been a part of multiple collaborations of just finding out what we call tuning the magnetic properties of this compound, iron 3 gallon 4 So, like, I've run magnetic measurements for the Naval Academy, for the University of Maryland, um, for multiple schools that, like, I've been credited for. Um, but, again, it's just all, like, you know, my story with the vanadium. Okay, cool, I found out that adding more vanadium can push these temperatures down, or push these phase transitions down in temperature. 
um, you know, it may not be useful to us. That's not necessarily what we wanted, but there's a story there. Right. Um, and with a story can come someone who can possibly use that, you know. There could be possible people out there who need high transitions at, you know, 200 degrees, at 150 degrees, and now they know exactly how to tune that system to get that phase transition to be exactly where they need it by adding percentages of the make. Right. Um, so is it just like an anomaly at 20% or does it sort of go up in increments? Like is there like a, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we stopped at 20% because at 20% the vanadium kind of starts to also lower the magnetization. So since it's such a so much larger than the iron atoms at that point because so much of it is in there, it starts to take away essentially like so it becomes the the main it starts to get magnetic yes um, and then it takes away from the magnetism that the iron itself creates um so we don't use it as much and so whenever I use any compound that I add in there we try and stay below twenty percent. Um, so, um, we haven't really gotten clear stories from anything else yet, other than, um, I believe titanium gave us a little bit of a story at, like, very, very low temperatures. Um, but again, like, uh, when you get above, like, 20%, a lot of times in these magnetic measurements, you start to change the composition so much that you start to take away from its traditional magnetic behavior, which could be useful. It's just going to be, then, that's a different road of research that you would go in. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. So you said that you started, well, that's my next question. So say somebody's a freshman and they want to be like you, four papers in undergrad, how would they start and how did you start? Period. Um, so I started because I took thermodynamics with my professor, Dr. Radhika Barua, again, the baddest bitch alive. Um, but seriously, um, especially if you're an engineer on campus at VCU or an engineer at other schools, um, there's a program within the school called a Vertically Integrated Projects, um, and that's what my professor works for. The VIP section. VIP, baby. <laughs> and what VIP does is it integrates vertically people to work with each other. And what they mean by that is there has to be a PhD student, there has to be a master's student, there has to be undergrad students, and there has to be professors all working together. So it's vertically integrated. Um, And so a lot of engineers um, and engineering schools have incorporated this VIP program. I don't remember what school it started at. I think maybe Georgia Tech. But um, yeah, that's how I got involved. It really threw me into the process, I get to do a lot of things that a lot of other schools during undergrad don't get to do because I'm working with people older than me. I took a lot of classes um, over the summer and uh, one class last semester about magnetism that's only open to grad students, but we got to take it because we were in the VIP program. Um, It created a lot of opportunities for me. I got really close with my professor with my other leading lab professor who teaches um, mechatronics, um, super smart guy. Um, So I just helped me really build connections. So I very much suggest it if you're in engineering school or have the opportunity in general in any other discipline. Um, And even if you don't have VIP, like definitely just reach out to professors that you have that do research. And integrate yourself. Period. Right. Um, it was a really great opportunity for me. Um, I never even thought about the possibility of grad school, 
but um, my professor here has been helping me um, get all these grants to possibly go because the reason why I wouldn't go is I can't afford it. Um, but she's been a really large staker, a stakeholder for me and pushing me to do bigger things than I thought for myself. And um, now I could be going to college on a full ride scholarship and it could even be possibly paying for my housing as well. Right. So, um, which I never thought would be possible for me. And she really pushed me there. So I definitely push everyone to reach out and reach outside the limits that you think for yourself. Reach out and reach up. Period. Period. Right. So thank you so much for that. That's awesome. That's yeah. basically the same speech that you do at your the conferences that you go to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the I was actually supposed to be at a conference right now, mm -hmm. um, but thanks COVID, it was in Daytona Beach, so no way we were going. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but um, I basically had a 15 minute presentation where I was going to talk to all these professors who teach magnetism and study magnetism for their research and uh, present my research to them. So I didn't get to because of COVID, but I got to speak on here. So kind of a kind of a makeup, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't think any professors are watching yet. Um, they're coming soon. Period. But yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, definitely reach out to your professors. Um, jump in. So you so this is about magnets and everything, and you want to do roller coasters. How do you think this could link? that I have an idea but I'll tell you after okay um well oftentimes um not to go on a super large roller coaster span but for those of you who don't know me I am obsessed with roller coasters I want to build roller coasters it's my dream job for once I graduate um a lot of roller coasters use um magnetism and magnets to actually launch or stop the roller coasters at this point um so uh I think that my background in magnetism could really push me to um, create new methods and new ways of using magnets within roller coasters and within roller coaster systems, which would be pretty cool. Exactly. And you can just show your four published articles. Period. Right. Um, in your interview and talk about that. But yeah. At NYU, if anyone's listening, <laughs> applied. <laughs> I was thinking with the cooling and, I don't know, the cooling with the magnets. You know how roller coasters, like... Sometimes, I don't know, I'm thinking like tracks and like trains and friction and stuff. There could just be a lot of like heat. Maybe that could just make Word. cooling it down to make the brakes more efficient. I don't know. I don't, I hate physics, but. A lot of times there are a lot of problems with the overheating specifically of the magnets um, on roller coasters <laughs> that use magnets a lot. Um, so you're definitely on a track that I can see. Thanks. I want you to use your research to fix that. Right. Coming soon. Coming, Coming soon. soon. Coming to a refrigerator <laughs> near you. <laughs> or a theme park near you. Wait and see. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Um, Love seeing black men in STEM. Or just black. Actually, women in STEM. Um, we're going to have to do some editing. But thank <laughs> you so much for coming out today. Yeah. Um. So yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you next episode.